Good morning, folks. Here we are again. Uh, hello to those in Christian Coffee Time that are following these uh, studies in the book of Revelation. My name is Pastor Paul, and uh, we're going to have be looking today at uh, chapter 11. So get your pens and papers and whatever you need to write down stuff, because there's an awful lot of information, and it takes a lot of review and going over it. And, uh, well, if you're anything like me, before it sinks in, and uh, to get a good grasp on and get some stuff written down so you can uh, refer to it later on and you can look up the verses back and forth and such. We're just simply taking what the Bible says as it's laid out and as it uh, shows in other portions and that. Today we're going to be looking at the two witnesses in chapter 11. And uh, we're back in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> in chapter 10 we saw John taking the little, <clears throat> little book from the angel's hand and John was told to eat this book and it would be sweet in his mouth and bitter in his belly and that he would uh, preach again. And we looked at that and saw John was uh, to ingest this little book and to experience and to know the sweetness and the bitterness that he would be, uh, um, uh, um, he would be uh, um, able to understand or bring forth those things that God would have him proclaim, proclaim uh, a little further. Um, so we, uh, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name for this time to look into the Word of God and these things in Revelation. Help us to understand where they are. Help us to understand our um, relationship to these things too, Lord. We pray that honor and glory go to you, Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Now bless each one that listens now, those that uh, hear and heed these things that are written therein. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So write down this stuff. So, um, chapter 11, well, it began with chapter 10. We were looking through the um, trumpets. We got up to the sixth trumpet. Now we're in between the sixth and the seventh. The sixth, sixth trumpet has sounded. And just kind of a... I use the word pause, but that's not exactly it. There's just some information before the seventh trumpet sounds. In chapter 10, we saw John being told, given some instructions as he's writing down the things about the visions that God is showing him and writing these things down in the, for the book of Revelation for us to read today, for people to understand what the future holds. And then we get to chapter 11, and it's uh, showing us... Uh, now, Keep in mind, the seventh trumpet's coming up. That's the third woe upon the uh, inhabitants of the earth. And it's not the central point, but it is the halfway point in the seven years. But it is a big, big thing that's taken place here. You're going to have the Antichrist not revealed. He was revealed back in chapter 6. We saw him as the rider on the white horse. And uh, he was responsible for both with conquering and then wars and plagues and things. But now he's going to be indwelt with Satan himself. And he's going to desire and want the world to worship him as God. Now, very important for us to um, just to see these things, chapter 10, chapter 11, and then chapter 12 as well. It's just setting up and explaining some things that are going to be, because this second half of the second seven years is going to be a worse time than the 
stuff that went previous. Now that's in my opinion, if you read through these things and see which is worse, but it's bad all the way around anyways. We know that at this point that we're at right now, the believers have been removed. That's back after the sixth seal, chapter seven shows about the believers being removed. The 144,000 would go through this time of the trumpets, which is the first um, group, grouping, if that's the word, that's not the word, of the, the wrath of God, and they would witness, and now they're going to be removed, in chapter 14 will show us, they're going to be removed before the seven vials come. They're going to be taken to be with Jesus, but there's going to be some other witness upon the earth at this time. This is going to introduce here in chapter 11 these two witnesses of God, and they're mentioned in the Bible several times, and they're going to go through this next phase, as it were, this second half of the tribulation, the second half of that seven-year period, that we, uh, it was explained from Daniel chapter 9, remember. And uh, they're going to be through that. So what it's going to do here is in chapter 11, and John's going to be told some things, and then he's going to uh, show us the things that he was told about the two witnesses. Now remember, the seventh trumpet hasn't sounded yet, but yet we're going to be given and shown the things that these two witnesses do on down through and past the seventh trumpet and such like that down through. And then he'll come back in chapter 12 to explain some things that are going to happen. And uh, um, the, the trumpet is sounding there in verse 15. So I hope that's going to be clear to you, but uh, we'll try and make it clear. Let's have a look here at what's going on. Uh, verse 1, John is uh, um, he was given a reed like unto a rod. It's like a staff for and to use it for measuring. Okay, and it says, and the angel stood saying, and what angel is that? This is the same angel that it said he stood with one foot upon the sea, one foot upon the land, and reached up his hands unto heaven and swear by him who lives forever and created all things. This angel gave him this staff, this rod for measuring. He says, I want you to go and measure the temple of God. I want you to measure the altar and measure them that worship. Okay. So the angel saying that to him, to measure. Um, when it says the temple there, the temple of God, it doesn't mean the whole temple. What it's referring to is that sanctuary, the holy, the holy place, and especially the, the holiest of holy places, the inner compartment where God would well would meet with them in the in the old days back in the Old Testament, it's not the word for the whole temple, but for that sanctuary, that place. But I put a question down there. I says, why measure things? Why does he have to measure things? And this is difficult to understand. And sometimes we just have to say, well, I don't know. When you measure things, and we look here and measure things, sometimes it's to find uh, the size of something. Um, to, uh, the space we measure, um, uh, measure the numbers to get the numbers, but how about measuring to get the value of something? I think that's what's at play here. Uh, I can't really elaborate on that. I'm just still myself thinking that one through, but I think it has something to do with that because we already know the size of the sanctuary and the temple and all that sort of thing back in Exodus gives us the dimensions. But, and this is the one that probably, I was going to say probably before God, but I guess it would not be. This would be the one that's on earth 
um, must be one that is rebuilt, I suppose. It gets into very difficult things to understand, but uh, we're just going to skip over that. But you think about that. Um, I think it has to do with value. Know what it says? And them that worship. Okay? Them that worship. Perhaps it's the temple in heaven. Perhaps it's the one that's on the earth. But um, I don't think it's in heaven because of verse 2. The court which is without the temple. So you had the temple. You had this inner sanctuary. There's two compartments. And then you had the other compartment uh, outside uh, with uh, some of the furniture, the labor, and all that sort of thing, the altar. And then there was the court around the outside of that. It says the court, to leave that out, don't measure it because it's given to the Gentiles. Now, when we go back to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, that describes and gives us an overview of this um, period of time that God said that was be upon the Jewish people and upon Jerusalem, the holy city. And it tells us in the, in the Gospels, I think it's Luke that talks about the times of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Gentiles and that the city will be trampled down. The Jews don't have complete control over Jerusalem, do they? Even to this day, the, the Gentiles have some say in what's taking place. For instance, you look at the uh, Mosque of Omar on the Temple Mount. The Jews don't have the Temple Mount and other places and such. Here it says in verse 2, it's given to the Gentiles, and they shall tread, down, tread the holy city for 42 months. Three and a half years. That's very important. You'll see that three and a half years, because this is a period of seven years. It's future yet from us, of course, and obviously. And that seven years is divided into two sections, three and a half years, and then three and a half years. We've just covered pretty well the first three and a half years. We're, we're approaching that midpoint and, that's, and that seventh trumpet will announce those things going into the next part. So the Gentiles are going to trample down the, uh, um, the, uh, um, the area of the um, temple and have the run and rule over things for another three and a half years. That's what will, that's what will take place. We're approaching that midway point, as I said, Daniel um, 24 to 27. And if you don't understand the seven years, Daniel's seventh, uh, 70th week, go back to some of the earlier uh, videos. This is video number 25. You go back to some of the first ones, find the one that talks about Daniel uh, chapter 9 and go through that and, and where it explains that. You'll see that. But, he introduces the two witnesses in verse 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. Now how long is a thousand two hundred and threescore days? That's, that's one thousand two hundred and sixty days. Now remember, this would be by a Jewish calendar of three hundred and sixty days per year, but it still works out to three and a half years, or just shy of it. Okay. So we have that three and a half years. So we see that these guys are going to be doing that, witnessing that prophesying for God during this next section, this last three and a half years, where the 144,000 had witnessed under the trumpet judgments, and they're going to be removed and gone. We'll see that in chapter 14. But these guys, it's 
showing that they're going to do their work in this next phase. This next phase is a little more difficult and so on and so forth. But uh, let's have a look at them. It says um, um, the court to leave out and uh, the Gentiles will tread it down for that three and a half years remaining. You know at the end of that three and a half years Jesus will come back to the earth and set up his earthly kingdom. The battle of Armageddon will take place and all that. That's the end. And he's going to change this whole earth. It's going to be renovated. Things are going to be different. All nature is going to be changed. Everything. And he's going to rule. Amazing time. It's what the Bible says. The Bible is the word of God. If you don't believe it, I can't help you. You've got to, that's between you and the Lord. Um, I believe with all my heart because it's God's word. He's proven it to be so. We're looking at, we are looking into the future. People want to say, well, what does the future hold? Read the Bible. It tells you what's going to take place, what's coming down the road. And that stuff we see today is setting it up. Trying to change everything, change governments, change the way things are done, change history. It's coming. It's, they're rolling out the carpet for this thing. So the two witnesses will preach and prophesy for three and a half years. And the seventh trumpet of wrath will sound, that's in verse 15, to introduce the third woe upon mankind. That third woe is the Antichrist filled with the devil. And in chapter 12, we'll explain some of the things about that, how the devil's beaten and kicked out of heaven, and he's really angry and upset. And he comes down to the earth, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, because he has great wrath, knowing that he has just a little time left. That's when the Antichrist, he, he lives inside that man and, and commands the earth, tricks the earth, to worship him, that's the 666 mark comes out, that's the woe to the inhabitants of the earth in the seventh trumpet. Now, he's giving us this stuff before that to show the witnesses now. He's going to take the witnesses and show us their ministry all the way down through and then come back and then we'll look at the trumpet and go through like that. So that's how this is unfolding. Um, chapter 12 will ex uh, int introduce and explain some of the events of the seventh trumpet. And as I said, the time of the seventh trumpet, the beast, we call him the Antichrist. Chapter 13 calls him the beast. And then there's the second beast is the false prophet. And so on and so forth. Daniel 9.27, you write things down. Um, after we're done here, go and read through Daniel uh, 9.27, verse 24 to 27. But 27 is what we're talking about here. And 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 4, he sets himself up as God in the temple to be worshipped as God. The two witnesses, as I said, the 144,000 will be removed from the earth. Um, so these witnesses, these two witnesses here, these two individuals, now I believe it's John's going to be one of them. Most people say, well, it's Moses and Elijah. Well, it could be. I don't know. I won't be here for that to see, and Christians won't be here. We'll be gone for that. This is not for us. This is wrath upon the Jewish people, the unbelieving, and the rest of the world. Okay. Um, I do believe it's John because in chapter 10 it shows, uh, John, you've got to prophesy again amongst many people and nations and so on and so forth. And then he's going to measure the temple and all this stuff. And then he talks about two witnesses. 
That's what I believe. You can't, you don't have to accept that just because I say it. I can't prove it from scripture, so therefore it's just my opinion. Doesn't matter, but that is my opinion. I think he's one of them. But um, nonetheless, there will be two of them. Let's have a look at these guys, the two witnesses. Now in verse four, it says that they are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now, just to save time, now, we won't, we won't go back and look in the Old Testament, but I'm going to give you the reference. Now, remember I told you, and I tell you every time, write it down, and write down as much as you can because you've got to go back and read this stuff afterwards. We don't have to cover it all right. We're just skimming over it, giving you an idea of the book of Revelation. This is what's happening. This is how this is happening. This is why this is happening, etc. You've got to do some work. Did you know that when you get saved, when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you enter into a classroom. So, well, I don't like school. But you're in a schoolroom of God, God's schoolroom for the rest of your life. And you've got homework to do. You've got to study this Bible. And part of the understanding of it is you've got to dig into it. I'm giving you some of the tools to do that with, to dig into this stuff. We're looking in the book of Revelation. Sometimes we're trying to run before we can walk. But anyways, um, dig into it, read the verses, and look at these things. Um, Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, if you remember the Lord Jesus standing in, uh, amongst the, um, the candlesticks and such, and he said he saw these candlesticks. And then Zechariah, um, chapter, Zechariah chapter 4, particularly verse 3, talks about the two olive trees. The olive trees were there where they got the uh, oil from the olives to make the oil for the lamps, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, the light and such, come forth. Isn't that interesting? That is. So you read that, Revelation 1.20, uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 4, verse 3, the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now in verse 5, it tells us that there's no hurt going to come to them. That if any man hurts them, fire proceeds out of their mouth. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? We're talking about supernatural things here that we don't understand, that we've never seen, and uh, we just can't fathom it. Do we believe and know and understand that besides this natural realm that we live in right here, that there is a supernatural realm as well, which we don't see? There are angels, there are are unholy angels, unclean spirits, demons and such, but God's holy angels and things taking place around us. That's what it is. People say, well, I can't see it, so I don't believe it, really. And, you know, have you ever seen, if you've got a brain in your head? I've never seen it. Maybe it's just empty. Maybe it's filled with blue cheese or something. I'm just being silly, I know. But don't say just because I... I don't see it, that I, I can't accept it. Like I said earlier, perhaps somebody who doesn't believe, say, say you knew 50% of everything there is to know in the whole world and universe. That's a lot. Well, let's give you that 50%. You know all that. Do you suppose God and all this supernatural stuff is in that other 50% that you don't know anything about? Mm -hmm. Let's carry on. So these, uh, these individuals, you got these two men. Now they're going to be standing upon the earth, standing for God in one of the worst, worst times this world will ever see. 
and a, uh, the worst time for people to be alive in. And yet they stand there, they're filled with the Spirit of God, and they declare God's Word, they declare the things of Christ, they declare God continually. The whole world hates them. There's only two of them. Just think about that for a minute. And sometimes we don't even hand out a track to tell somebody about Jesus. And there's thousands and millions of Christians on the earth right now, most of which don't speak one word for Jesus Christ or hand out a tract or tell somebody. Just saying, that's all. Just think about it. But no hurt's going to come to them. And anyone tries to hurt them or kill them, they're going to be killed by God. Nothing's going to hurt them until their time is up. God holds the key to, to death and hell, all that stuff. And God says they're going to minister for this period of time until I say it's over. And you and I are going to live until God says, it's over, you're done, come on home. Okay? They have the power, it says here in the Bible, that's the word authority, to stop it from even reigning. Sounds like some of the Old Testament prophets, like Elijah and those guys, eh? Stop the rain from falling if they want. They have power to turn the water into blood. Sounds like Moses and the plagues of Egypt, doesn't it? They have power to smite the earth with plagues as often as they want to. You know what's taking place? In and through all these things, God is trying to get people's attention. He's knocking on the door of their heart, saying, will you listen? Will you look to me? Will you repent of your sins? And these things are happening, and they have to happen greater things and worse things and more terrible and piles up and piles up because people just won't listen. They just don't listen today. They just will not. Let's carry on. They had, we're saying that these two witnesses have the authority, the power from God to stop it from raining. They can turn water into blood. They can smite the earth with plagues as often as they want. During this time that they will minister from that middle point of that seven years to down near the end of that seven years. They're going to torment the people that live on the earth. And the people of the earth are going to hate them. Hate them, hate them, but they can't touch them, they can't stop them, they can't do anything. Verse 7, and when their testimony is finished, God allows the beast. Now that shows us that, that what he's looking at is, he's just looking at the, the ministry of those ones and way down there. The beast hasn't come upon the earth yet, so he's just showing us these, the things of these uh, two witnesses. This is how they're going to do this, this is what's going to happen. Then when, when we're done here, he's going to come back and start back at the seventh trumpet. When their testimony is finished, the beast that ascends into the bottomless pit, we talked about that earlier, you read it, if you have a concordance, check that out. This beast, this individual that will be uh, ruling upon the earth. If you go back in time and look at the uh, Roman Caesars, Nero was called the beast. He was a horrible horrible, ungodly man who persecuted and killed many people, especially Christians. It was called the beast. He was a picture of that which will to come. Uh, he makes war against these two witnesses and will kill them. God says, okay, your testimony's done, your work's done, and he allows the Antichrist to kill them. Now there's a reason that he allows, God allows the, the beast 
to kill his two witnesses. When we look and see what it says, the two witnesses are, um, are, are killed in, in verse 7. Uh, the beast of the third woe, chapter 13, that guy kills these two. And when their job is done, God allows it. And their dead bodies, verse 8, are just lying in the streets of Jerusalem. It's, the Bible says that, that city is spiritually is Sodom and is Egypt where the Lord Jesus was crucified. It's pretty easy to figure that out, isn't it? This is Jerusalem he's talking to. Jerusalem is away from God. The people are away from God and uh, it's spiritually wicked and the, the, the sins and stuff, just like the rest of the world. But Jerusalem is identified. Go back to Daniel 9.24 and you'll see that these things were upon the holy uh, city and the Jewish people, but it overflows to the whole earth because the whole earth is just the same. God's going to tend to his chosen people at this time. The dead bodies of these two uh, witnesses will lie in the streets and uh, their, their uh, ministry is likely centered in Jerusalem, but it says that uh, they will torment the whole world with their plagues and everything, and all the people of the earth will see them dead. Perhaps they're going to be on television or something. I suppose they would. you imagine if uh, there's just these two upon the earth and they're tormenting the earth? The earth hates them. They want them gone. Now all of a sudden they're dead. The beast killed them, so the people are saying, yay for the beast, and that's our guy. And look at what he's done. He's got rid of these two nuisance guys that are talking about God and everything all the time. So now why did the question was why did God allow them to be killed? Well, look at what happens. Now, their bodies are not allowed to be buried. Verse 9, they, had, they lay in the streets for three and a half days. That's just a picture of the years of their ministry that they will have. Verse 10, verse 10, the earth uh, uh, dwellers rejoice over them because of they were tormented and such. Just think about it for a minute. The whole earth rejoices and they're happy and they're sending gifts to each other. And they're, it's like a, a world holiday now because these two guys are killed. They're rejoicing because these two men of God are killed. How ungodly and wicked is that? Two individuals that stand up proclaiming God and the things of Christ and the world hates them. Jesus said the world will hate, hate the Christian. He'll hate us. But yet we go out and go downtown, wherever we go, we hand out tracts, preach on the streets, or whatever you do, hand out a tract to somebody in a grocery store or something. You may not always be received uh, uh, with a good attitude, you know. But nonetheless, just keep on. In verse 11, look at this. After those three and a half days of their bodies lying in the streets, it says the Spirit of God enters into them and they stand up. So you picture yourself being there. Everybody can see, the whole world can see, whether it's television or whatever. They can see them laying there. And all of a sudden they stand up. Whoa, what's going on here? That's pretty scary stuff. That's pretty amazing stuff. It says great fear falls upon the people. Great fear falls upon the people and they stand up. 
Then verse 12 says there's a voice comes from heaven. Now you picture this if you, as, as if you were there. You're not, if you're a Christian, you won't be there. If you're unsaved, you might very well be there, one of these people standing there. I don't mean to be smart. That's what the Bible says. You gain heaven, you gain entry to heaven by believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God manifest in the flesh, who went to the cross of Calvary and was nailed up on that cross as the payment and punishment for your sins. All sins are against God. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Psalm 51. And Jesus died on that cross, was buried, and rose from the dead on the third day to show that he is the Son of God, that death has been defeated, and that sin has been paid for. And you know it, and I know it, that we're sinners. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, put your faith in him, and you will be saved. These things won't come upon you. The voice from heaven comes and they stand up. Or the Spirit of God comes into them, they stand up. Verse 12, a voice from heaven, and they ascend up to heaven. So the people stand there, they see them, these dead bodies, yay, they're dead. And they all of a sudden, they stand up, they're alive. Whoa! And then they go, whoa! A voice from heaven. Whoa, what's this? And the enemies of them are watching all these things take place. In the same hour, verse 13, the same hour, there's a great earthquake. A great earthquake in the same hour. And a th one tenth of the city, that's Jerusalem, one tenth of the city is destroyed. And 7,000 people are killed in the earthquake. But look at what it says in the rest of the verse, verse 13. Look at what it says. Why did God allow the why will God allow the beast to kill his two witnesses? Because he's going to stand them up on their feet, bring them back to life, and he's going to zoom up to heaven they go, and they're going to hear his voice, and then the people are going to repent. See what it says? Verse 13. Uh, and the remnant, that means the rest of the people, were affrighted. That means they were terrified. Fear came upon them to tremble. They were shaking in their boots. Their knees are knocking together. They are afraid of what they just saw. And they say it's God. And they give glory to God. These are the remnant, uh, the others, the rest in the city, other than the 7,000 that, uh, that weren't killed in the earthquake. It says they gave glory to the God of heaven. But just think of this for a minute. The difficulties, the trials, the tribulations, the plagues, the terrible things that are gonna come upon this earth, God's not just doing it just because. He is doing it because he's just and holy, and as a judge must pronounce a sentence upon crime, all sin is a crime against God, because he's holy and sin is horrible. It took God to take on a man's form to go to the cross, and that was a bloody mess, a horrible thing. But sin is horrible. It took a horrible thing to take place as to put to death the Son of God for our sins. But that's the love of God. He went through that. He did that for each person. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. Believe in Christ and have everlasting life. But note here the difficulties that God brings and allows to punish, to correct, and draw the people to himself. Today some of that stuff is happening, some difficulties. Uh, it's an unsaved person, difficulties God might allow, and he's just tapping on your shoulder. The Bible talks about the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Sometimes it's just good things. He brings people along. In the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 2, there's a little sentence here. There's four words mentioned, and it's very applicable here. It says, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk talking to the Lord. The Lord's talking about, the, about uh, how he has to correct the people, how they're fallen away and they fell into idolatry and so on and so forth. And Habakkuk says, in wrath, remember mercy. And God is doing exactly that. In this wrath, there's mercy. They gave glory to the God of heaven. You've got to remember that the seventh trumpet's going to sound. The beast is going to be on the earth. He's going to rule as God, once we call God. The 666 is going to take place. And if they take the 666, they're damned. They'll be damned for all time. But wait till we get there. We'll look at that. But think of this for a moment. What does God have to do to get people's attention and to bring them to repentance? What does God have to do to people today and with people today? He shows his goodness. He brings and allows difficulties and such, just so you come to the end of yourself and that you would look up and say, oh God, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I believe with all my heart. It's not the words, it's from your heart, isn't it? But just think about what God has to do to get people's attention. Now when we get to verse 14, you see, we've seen the end of the two witnesses ministry. Now we're going to go back to pick up where we left off. The sixth trumpet has sounded. We're right up to the edge. Now the seventh sounds, okay? This is the next phase, the next section of things here. Verse 15, and the seventh angel sounded. That's the third woe upon the inhabitants of the earth. And there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become uh, our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's not right at that point. He shall reign forever and ever because just a short time left. There's only three and a half years from this point now and Jesus is coming back and he's going to set things up and he will reign and all that is going to take place. Anticipation of it. And verse 16 talks about the scene in heaven and the four and twenty elders which sat before God. Their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God. Just a rejoicing in heaven. We're entering into the last stage, the last phase of things. And Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set things straight. And all those things are going to take place. Verse uh, 17, saying, uh, these elders in heaven, they say, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come. You see, we see rejoicing in heaven, but we see anger upon the earth. The earth, by and large, the people, the population, doesn't want the things of God. They want to cast off the things of God. Today, they want to outlaw the Bible. They want to close the churches, all this stuff. And the new world order, globalist world order that comes in, 
will do those things according to the scriptures. So we get down to verse 19. Uh, the temple of God was opened in heaven. Now, verse 19, I think, belongs to chapter 12. The scene in heaven at the time of the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet has, has, uh, uh, um, uh, has uh, sounded. Now we're going to enter into chapter 12, which prepares or introduces the events that come from the seventh trumpet. We're going to look into the spiritual aspect of things. You're going to look into heaven. You're going to see things taking place. But it explains how and why. I like to think of it this way, that the seventh trumpet will bring and introduce the Antichrist as he takes off the mask. He's been fooling people. Now he wants to be worshipped. He shows himself as the devil himself. Daniel 9, 27, go and read it. In the midst of the week, he stops the covenant that he makes. That seven-year covenant that he made, he stops it. And he declares himself to be God and wants to be worshipped as God. Chapter 12 describes what he does and what takes place. And then chapter 13 describes how he does it somewhat. But that's for next time. That's for video number 26. So that pretty well concludes um, video number 25 here for chapter 11. Don't forget to go back and go over these things. Check out the references that I mentioned. It gives you the, the whole complete story and put it all together. We're going through this chronologically and the uh, revelation is chronological. I mean the events unfold one after the other. We've shown that, we've proved that. The seventh woe proves that and shows us that, carries us right through into the second half, the beginning of the second half. Anyways, Lord bless you. Um, look to the Lord, be reading your Bibles, be praying much, and take every opportunity you can to witness. You got a pocket in your shirt, put tracks in it. That's what they're there for. These are main, these are track racks. Get them out, get the word of God out. That, People, be, that people have a, a chance, an opportunity to trust in Christ. How shall they hear without a preacher? You're the preacher. Get the word out. Take, get some tracks. Hand them out. Hand them around. And uh, praise the Lord. There we go. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for allowing me to come into your home with this uh, video right now. Praise God. Praise Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord bless you. See you next time.